Welcome to this new episode of The Imperfect Scientist. Where we will discuss tools to uncover your strengths and empower you. And today, um, it's going to be all about soft skills. The so-called, in my opinion, wrongly called soft skills. Because they can actually be pretty hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's true. That's true. And um, the word of the day is uh, going to be trainment, which all of you know. Yeah. <laughs> Go um, on. Uh, because um, we just invented it. <laughs> it's a combination of um, training and development. Developing uh, the soft skills um like people usually many people do that just by learning by doing during the day uh during their um work and private life but actually you can train them so we would strongly suggest trainment trainment train to develop um you will uh, definitely develop uh soft skills and strengths on your own, on your life experience, on your work experience. Uh, there's no doubt about it because everybody does. Um, it has to do with growth, with personal growth. Now, you can do that or on top of that, you could also be proactive and you could train them. And if you train them, you're just gonna skip a few- Many. Years maybe, I don't know. You could, you could definitely at least be better equipped to deal with situations that bring you out of your comfort zone when you train and develop these, um, some of the, some of the soft skills. And, and I think we should stop calling them soft skills because um, I don't consider them soft. Should we call them complementary skills? Um, yeah. Or we, we just, or we just call them, we just call them, keep calling them soft skills and people get comfortable and we get rid of this uh, bad image that soft skills have. Because, I mean, if you look at the internet, um, I mean, just yesterday or day before yesterday, you and me were looking in the internet for numbers, right? Mm -hmm. And it's actually pretty easy to find data that shows that employers, um, uh, headhunters, all of um, um, investigators, all, everybody who's look, looking into this, what's required at the workspace and what will be required even more in the future they all agree it is soft skills. Yeah, let's go with soft skills and uh, I'll try to make myself comfortable with it. <laughs> what, 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 was your, what was your alternative? Complementary skills, huh? Complementary skills? I also don't like complementary skills. I, I think we should just call them skills. But anyways, um, let's just keep calling them soft skills because that's a convention and everybody's going to know about it. Yeah. And the, what we want to share with you today are some of our own experiences in developing these and training these and how they've changed the way we work, how they've, um, at least for me, how they've turned me into someone that feels so much more comfortable in the workspace. Um, and, and this translates to my personal life so much. Um, yeah, and, and, and this is, we wanna share our life experiences. So, um, and why, why we think this topic is important, Daniel, you just, alluded to it um, for one it's going to it's it's one of the things that's going to develop more and more rapidly um, as as the requirements for the job market in the in the years to come 
it has already it is already a pretty big buzzword it has been in the last few years it's going to become even even more those are the projections but if you look at at people themselves like i mean that that's obviously important that it's going to become more important in the future but more relevant in the future but let's consider now right this and mm, i guess everybody would agree if you ask them point blank um, whether soft skills are important in their job i mean i can't imagine there's only going to be very few people who actually say no yeah yeah um Exactly. So there are a couple of aspects. I guess one of them is the job market and it might not be, it might be kind of the most objective one. But um, for me, at least the one that's closest to my heart is that is going to, like I said, it's going to make you more comfortable. At least it made me more comfortable in my workspace, um, in interacting with other people. Um, and that makes my daily life, my daily work life so much easier and enjoyable. So I can only be grateful that I decided to develop and train. And I mean, it doesn't even have to be interaction with other people. I mean, most of the soft skills are interaction with other people, but the one that I'm going to focus on and tell stories about is, is um, prioritizing, mm -hmm. which means yourself, right? Managing yourself. I mean, that's one of the hardest things, the hardest soft skills to learn, at least for me, um, is, is managing your own person, your own um, working life, your own life. And so let's hear your three. Let's hear your or your top uh, things. And then we're going to actually tell you specific, um, specific stories about how that has worked for us. Yes. So um, my two are prioritizing and conflict management. Okay. Excellent. Um, should we go to yours and then I'll disclose mine. We can let's let's talk about like you you wanted to tell us a story about um, how self management and prioritizing has made a big difference. You're you're good. You produced a cliffhanger. Now everybody's on edge to find out what you what yours actually were. That's well done, Eva. Well done. Um, keep the tension up. <laughs> I, I get the point. So I just go ahead, folks. Um, Uh, prioritizing i'm still getting better at this uh, this is a const uh, this is a work in progress um and i can remember the hardest time in my career well the second hardest time because i failed my first phd right so after two years i quit my first phd so that i, I that was the hardest time but but um there were only very few things that i learned from the from the failing. Um, so I'm going to move on to the second hardest part in my career, which is the time when I became group leader. I became group leader. Okay. It was two groups. I became leader of two groups. And I, and, and I admit that was kind of, that was a pretty big challenge on top of everything, but those times were horrific. I was sitting, I can remember that for months, I was just sitting at the computer um, I had a list of roughly two to 300 things I, I needed to do. And I was just sitting at the computer hoping that nobody would talk to me, that nothing would, nothing from the outside would disturb me or would ask any decisions from me because I was totally overwhelmed. I didn't know what to do. Um, people came to me and said, well, the technician, um, 
the technician is sitting in the lab. She doesn't know what to do. You don't want to give her something to do. Yes, yes, I would do that. Or somebody else would come and say, you have a PhD position. You need to hire somebody. You need to start hiring so that the person is there. Yes, yes. And then the technician would come and say, uh, we need to buy that machine. We have to um, identify which one would be the best machine and, and test and ask for for how much it's going to cost. Yeah, and then the head of the department came and said, well, have you talked to the dean yet? You need to make a network here. You need to make people aware that you're here. And I remember that was such a rough time because whatever, I just did whatever people asked me to do. Whatever they said, whenever somebody came and said, we have to do this and this, and I saw the list of 200 things I needed to do, and then I just did the easiest, I just did what the person asked me to do. Mm -hmm. And so what happened was um, I made progress, obviously, because uh, I did things, right? The days were full. But the things that happened um, were the ones that I was asked to do. So I was like a robot. There was no decision-making on my side at all. Um, and obviously that's not the way to go because it was, wasn't the most important and most relevant things that I did. I just did something. Yeah, whatever seemed more urgent or more pressing um, or there was more pressure to do it. Yeah. Uh, I guess that gives you a, a sense of being completely out of control of the situation. Yeah. Uh, as much progress as you're making because you are somehow probably out of those two or 300 things you have on your list, you are uh, ticking some of those off by doing what people uh, around you are telling. Maybe at least some of them might be partially overlapping. Some might be new. So on top of your 200, you have more. Um, but it definitely gives you a sense of not being in control. And that's, that's very much unreassuring. That, that leaves you in a state of what am I even doing? Where am I going? You don't have a, a clear a clear goal, a clear milestone to pursue. Yes. And I think that's the, that's the word control, right? Mm -hmm. If you prioritize, you take, you take back control. Yeah. And, and it's a good feeling whenever nowadays I feel overwhelmed still happens. Obviously I, I'm much more comfortable with it, but now it still happens. Whenever I feel like, Oh man, there are so many things I have to do. I sit down and I prioritize them. And so this let's talk about, yeah, no, Please finish. I, I interrupted you. <laughs> oh, yeah, and, and, and I think that's the, that's the whole point that you get take back control. And I mean, obviously, with 200 things on the list, the one thing that I learned is that you, I accept now that there's things on the list that don't get done. Yeah. Because I, so those are the two things that I learned from, unfortunately, I learned that um, by trial and error, okay? And it took me years. Um, I mean, nowadays we, we know all of those tools, the Eisenhower principle, the Pareto, uh, Eisenhower matrix, the Pareto principle, urgent versus important. We know all of those, but I wish, I wish I would have known them when I was a group leader. When I became a group leader, because that would have been so helpful and it would have been helpful before as well. Um, so now it's just, you, you, whenever there's, uh, I have the feeling I lose control because there's so many things to do. I sit down, I prioritize, I think, what do I want? What do I think is the most important? And then when people come to me and say, well, haven't you done this and this? Why haven't you done this and this? I say, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't do that. Um, I had something else pressing on my, on my fingers, something more important. And that's what I did. So I'm sorry, I didn't do that. 
And I'm getting much better at this and telling people, even I tell them in, in advance, um, I'm getting even better and telling them in advance, oh, that would be so excellent if I would do that. I agree. Unfortunately, I don't think it's going to happen. And if you still want me to do that, it might take forever for me to get to this and it will be done not so well and so forth and so forth. Um, and this is only possible because I know what I want to do and what I think is important um, for me and people around me. Um, that's top of the priority. Only then can I say no to the other people. It's much easier for me. Um, you mentioned a couple of tools. I think um, we've made it clear, you've made it clear how this was very important in that particularly stressful and demanding um, period of your life. Um, and you've mentioned a couple tools. So let's talk about how you train because that's what our audience probably wants to hear about. We, we, we talk about train and develop. So let's talk about, let's go maybe a little bit, brush um, upon at least some of the tools that you've mentioned. Okay. Um, so that we give our audience a couple of very useful tools that they can research. And we're going to have a podcast on, on those tools, um, a separate one to talk about each of those probably, but at least that they have um, a sense of what things they could start to research and use. Sure. Um, so, the, so the most um, interesting one, at least I think, is the Eisenhower matrix, um, which also our participants from our courses say that's so helpful for them. Um, and this is an, a graph where you have two axes, and that's the first aha moment for me. One axis urgent, the other axis important. And the interesting thing here is that there's two axes. So urgent and important are two different things. They're not the same. And I wasn't aware of that. I thought everything that's urgent is also important. Urgency immediately means that's important because it's urgent. And that's wrong because there's a lot of things that are urgent, but that are actually not important. And that's the key point, at least for me. Um, there's lots of more from the Eisenhower matrix that you can talk about leadership, um, delegating, um, management. Um, that you can learn from this simple graph, which has two axes, um, urgent and versus important. But actually, the, I think the most, most relevant thing that I learned from this is that not everything that's urgent is also important. And so you save time by doing those urgent only things by not doing them well. And that's the uh, Pareto principle. Yeah, before we even go to the, to the saving time, I think it's important that we, you know, um, re-emphasize how important it is that you take a moment to realize um, the difference between urgent and important. One of the things, one of you say it was an aha moment. I think it, it was definitely an aha moment for me. I think the aha moment for me was even like further development from this, not just that they're different, but that urgent typically has to do with external, important has to do with me. What's important for me? A lot of participants of the courses ask us, um, how do you define important? And we just give them back the question. What is important for you? Your Eisenhower matrix will look very different to mine. Uh, and that's okay, with the same tasks. If we were given the same tasks, mine would look very different because usually urgent has to do with external, with the technician, um, asking about the machine with the um, head of department asking if you've talked to the dean uh, and important will have to do with you with 
where do I want to lead my lab? Which research projects do I want to pursue? And what do I need in order to do that? What type of people do I want to hire? Maybe it leads to the same task. Maybe it leads to hiring somebody, but the underlying emotion and the underlying um, concept has to do with you, with what's important for you. And I think that helped me to disentangle important and urgent much better, at least for me, that makes it so much better that I sit down and say, okay, Eva, what is important to you? Disregard deadlines. And then there's this other trick, right? Where we always say, um, if there wouldn't be a deadline, would you still do it? If you would not, then it was only urgent probably. Then, then, then it probably wasn't that important. If you yeah. would remove the deadline and you wouldn't do it. Um, and and then there's this other, uh, sorry, go on. And then people might ask, well, how does that help me if it's urgent only? Well, the urgent only stuff just do badly. Exactly. And that leads us to the next, the next very useful tool that maybe some of our audience knows about because this has extended now. Um, it's become, you know, like kind of more popular in a lot of different aspects, in domains, not just in science. I've heard it in relationship with anything, with nutrition, with weight loss, with um, productivity, with a lot of different aspects. Um, and that is the Pareto principle where you were, you were just going to talk about it. So please. Yeah. In weight loss, we, you have to tell me how that is yes, yeah. weight loss later. So the Pareto principle, as you say, uh, uh, fits 20 things. It means that 20% of your time will already get you 80% of the job done. And that's good news, right? It's good news. It's, I mean, it's those last few percent that take so much more of your time. So um, hi to all the perfectionists out there. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, it's, it's when you want to get something to a hundred percent, that's when it takes so much. Well, it's not possible to take it to a hundred percent. If you want to take it to 95% or 97%, this is going to take so much more time. Those last percent, whereas the first 80%, because you're good, you're efficient, you're experts. Um, you get the first blob, you kind of, that's very fast because you know what to do. It's those, it's the polishing that takes so much more time. So that means that the urgent only stuff you don't deliver almost perfect jobs because they're just urgent. They're not important. And this takes training, right? To get, to let go, um, to not, I mean, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> perfectionism, it's letting go and saying, well, I'm just going to submit it as it is. I'm going to send the email as it is. I'm going to use the slides for the lab seminar as they are tomorrow because there's more important things I need to tend to. So I'm going to go with an 80% job. And you better practice, folks, because when you get when you rise in your career ladder, ladder uh, 80% for me, if I do something 80%, that's excellent, right? Because those things are really rare. I do 50% jobs. I do 20% jobs. I do 5% jobs. Yes, I do. Yeah. And um, that ties very nicely with... Um with with what i wanted to share um one of the things that has changed um, my work life so much um because you were just talking about letting go you were just talking about how um accepting that um yeah accepting that you can do things suboptimally and i'm a perfectionist at heart um and so this letting go For me, uh, I'm going to call my most kind of the one that has the one soft skill that has brought me the most is listening between the lines, um, which 
you usually say read between the lines. For me, it's it's really been listening and um, realizing, and, and this ties with letting go, that as attached as I am to being right and to thinking how things should be done, there is a huge gain in letting go of that and actually actively listening to what the other part is saying and letting them contribute and being open to accepting those suggestions. Because in the past, I struggled so much with, uh, during my PhD, for example, with how I thought things should be done and how I thought relationships should be handled, how people should behave, things like this even, like how should a PhD student behave um, and, and what should they know? And kind of setting a really high standard wouldn't let me see that those people that I thought were underperforming were just bringing in a completely different uh, perspective, a completely different skill set that I could benefit from and that I could learn from instead of trying to override all the time. So there's, I guess, two aspects to this. The one is this active listening. So really saying, okay, I'm going to shut up and actually try to understand what the other person is trying to tell me, even if I don't agree with it. And my brain is heavily raising all the flags and, and all, ringing all the alarms and saying, no, 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 that's completely wrong. That's not the way to do it. But I've learned to, to, to quiet those monkeys um, so, that I can, so that I can actually listen and understand what the other person is saying and to accept that what I think is right is only my perspective. So to change that perspective and to say, this is just how you would do it. That doesn't make it right. That just makes it one way of solving it. And it's been a huge lesson for my work life, for how I interact with people. And it's, it's, I even have like some stories. I have a reputation for being able to deal now in the latest years with really difficult people, people that every, like not everybody else, but a lot of people would have difficulty with. And I think one of my, one of the things that I do different there to most everybody else is that I really say, okay, why is that person difficult to everybody else apparently? What do they want? What makes them tick? What is it that they're not being listened to that makes them cranky? There is something that's obviously important to them that people are not acknowledging, that they're not respecting. So I'm going to at least try to talk to that person and understand what it is they want and how they tick so that I can put them on my side. And this works 80% of the time. I still clash with some people. You can't possibly, I guess, um, harmonize with everybody. But for me, it was a life changer in how in, in, per, in professional relationships. And one of the ways I trained this, by the way, that I actually implement this is by asking a lot of questions, even asking the question, what is important to you? What is important to you? What a little simple thing. And then listen, actually listen and respect that. And, 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 and if you do that, at least for me, it's, um, it's changed the way I interact with people. I would, I'm, I'm actually very happy that I'm now working together with you because that's something I would still like to learn from you because that's <laughs> something that I still haven't managed to do well enough, at least how I would like to do it because it still doesn't work for me that well. I'm overriding people. I'm dropping people on the side. If somebody's grumpy, I just avoid them. Actually, that's something that I should start trying to do as well. 
It's interesting that you say that because I think it's still work in progress. The same way that you were saying that it's for uh -huh. you that prioritizing is work in progress. For me, it definitely is. Um, but somehow, if I look back at how this has developed and how I've trained this, actively trained it by asking questions, by uh, quieting those monkeys in my head, by, by accepting that I'm not right and actually even writing this down, you know, like writing down, okay, these are my options. These are the other person's options. What is good about both? Let's put both the best of both to work. Um, I've come a long way and I still have a long way to go because you're ex well, accepting that you can learn is also, you know, that you can continue to develop and train is also part of the, of the mindset for me. Um, but yeah, this um, listening between the lines, listening between the lines is what, um, what I would emphasize has changed a lot for me. And I guess the first step, which is probably very difficult, is also to realize what's happening, right? When somebody's grumpy and then inside your, your buttons get pushed and then you just uh, feel the hormones flowing, adrenaline and whatever. And you go like, well, leave me alone or whatever. That's what I usually do. Um, so to be able to stand beside yourselves, watch yourself and say, well, that's just biochemistry that's happening right now inside you. So that's use and, and biochemistry that's blocking you. That's harmful because the harmful to the relationship because it prevents you from actually listening between the lines. And I guess that's not, that's at least for me, that's usually the most difficult step is to realize what's happening. Because once I realize I can start managing it, right? It's when I don't know, when I don't actively realize now the buttons get pushed and, and my hormones get flowing, um, then, I, then I'm, I can't control, I, I'm not controlling it, obviously. Yeah. So we're back to control. We're back to feeling somehow um, uh -huh. take charge that you have the ability to um, to modify your responses and to adapt. And sometimes adapting can also mean stepping away if your um, biochemistry or your your reaction is is pushing your button so much that you cannot um, deal with that in that moment. It's okay also to to step away and to say, okay, I need. To take a breath maybe i need to walk outside i um i'm reading this book on stoicism Sto stoics you know the stoics mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah and i don't remember i think it was marco aurelio probably who said i don't remember i i apologize if the quote if someone in the audience is knowledgeable about this and the quote is not from marco aurelio but the quote goes something like if you're mad if you're uh, annoyed um go take a walk if when you go come back, you're still mad and annoyed, go take another one <laughs> and repeat until you go back and you have been able to step outside yourself and, yeah. and quiet down a bit. Um, so, yeah. yeah. And I guess the training, the training is then to be able to do that without a walk, right? That you're yeah, yeah. in that situation when that person is needed to be, you know, interacted with, then you can actually take the walk inside your head within a few moments and take and manage, manage yourselves. And, and, and you know, what's the, the, the upside of this, another upside of this is that you can turn it around. And when you, when you are the person who is difficult to deal with, when you realize that you are the one who is making it difficult um, in those moments, if you're with a colleague, let's say, but you're super annoyed because something happened, maybe you're even annoyed by the colleague. I don't know. Um, in that moment, to be able to say, to be assertive, and that's, again, it ties, you know, with, with everything else. Like, for me, it's kind of a bundle. It's a package. And to be assertive and be able to say, in this moment, this is what's important to me. 
this is what's happening to me and this is what's important to me now that you leave me alone, that you give me five minutes um, or that you please do this, don't ask and we can talk about it and discuss it as much as you want, whatever it is. But to be assertive about it is going to make their lives so much easier and yours. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying you should avoid conflict because conflict can also be very, very ener energetic and energizing. And this is another topic for another day because otherwise this is going to be very long. Um, but um, I'm not saying you should avoid it. I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is this can also help you to manage that and to take charge of it um, with tools. Again, and we're talking all the time about tools to empower you in every situation. Yeah. And, and this is an excellent lead over. I'm not sure whether you constructed it that way or whether it just happened to the conflict management, which is my second thing. And actually there, um, I'm also looking forward to the podcast about tools for conflict management because I'm still a beginner and I still already have advanced so much compared to former times because the only thing I want to uh, say about conflict management is that it's good to go into the conflict. Yeah, early, even early, right? The earlier, yeah, because the whole point is what I learned, what I had to learn is that the earlier you go into it, the conflict is going to escalate anyway. Conflicts always escalate. It takes forever to grow grass over a bad relationship. Um, so the conflict is going to escalate anyway. So the earlier you handle it, the smaller it still is. Right. Um, so go in early and I have to force myself because I'm avoiding conflicts. I'm harmony driven. I hate conflicts. And uh, that's uh, actually not the case. If you would have. So there's a saying that where you say that conflict is uh, energy, which everybody would agree to, I guess. And you can use that energy to change something. Um, because if you would have 100 percent harmony, that would be nice, but there would be zero change in that extreme setting. So if you want, um, you can use the um, energy in the conflict for changing things, which, which I, which happened to me. Okay. That those are things that now when I go into conflict, I realize, first of all, they're not as bad as I thought most of the times. Um, when I just am alone, when I just think alone about the conflict, it's usually big and huge and I make it bigger all the time. And then when I address it with that person, Usually it's much smaller than I expected. That's the normal case. And second, it's most of the times it's quite easy to resolve. And afterwards people are happy. At least I am very happy because I hate conflicts and then it's done. It's, it's usually it's, it's resolved or there's a compromise because I'm good at compromising actually. Um, And the other person is happy as well. And then suddenly you can start working with each other again on a much better basis. I have, I have like a completely off science story about this, but it's very funny. Um, we had a neighbor uh, when, we, when we moved to Germany, we moved to a kind of a weird neighborhood um, and we were living in a flat and two, I think it was two or one flat below us was a middle-aged man, a German, Mm, kind of not very friendly looking um, <laughs> at least not very friendly appearing at first glance I don't know um, and yeah we were have not interacted very much with him initially and then at some point I think it was on a Sunday mm, yeah he was um, we, we, we had our windows open it was warm it was a warm day 
and I think we have music going and we were cleaning. And so it was two people in the flat and we were yelling at each other kind of, have you done this? Yeah, no, uh, where's this? And you know, like kind of things like communicating by yelling because we had the music. And it was on a Sunday, I think like at noon or afternoon, like one or two maybe. And so this guy comes without a shirt and this is gonna become an important detail. And in very rude terms, um, rings and says that we're disturbing him. Can you like where he didn't say that he actually said something along the lines of uh, turn off the TV or the music. You're really disturbing. What's this? Uh, and being like kind of really rude and, and, and you know, like we were like, oh, sorry, you know, like, yeah, fair enough. We um, close the windows or we turn on the music. I don't know. And then we were going on like and he didn't have a shirt on. And what does he think? And this was really disgusting. And we were going like this for days, you know, like, for days we were going on how much he hates us, how much we hate him, how horrible it is. Uh, he's rude. He's German. He's, I don't know, like whatever. And going into all kinds of things in our heads. And then one day, weeks after, we received a super heavy package. Uh, and I wasn't even there. It was this um, Iran who doesn't speak German very well. Okay. The other person in the house. And she's trying to carry the package because there was no elevator up the stairs. And this guy sees it and he's like immediately, oh, can I help you? And he helped her um, bring it up. And then we said, huh, okay, that was a nice gesture. Should we get him like, you know, oh, then we think, then, you know, like this isolated event, another one. Um, we heard that he was gonna be operated. All of a sudden, first of all, the perspective had changed completely because he had had a nice gesture. So he initiated something that changed very much the way we perceived it. And um, then we figured he was gonna be operated. So we got him chocolate. And he was extremely appreciative of this. He was like, oh my God, you're so nice. You know, like, um, you know, like, how did you figure that this was going to happen? I think this was by chance. I don't know. You know, like all of a sudden when we moved out, by the time we moved out, he was super sad that we were leaving. And he even gave us like a little trick so that the truck could go all the way to the, to the house, like all the way to the house door instead of having to park, I don't know where. So he gave us a trick that how they could drive, I don't know. He was extremely kind. And all of this came, you know, like from a conflict at a point where if we had been able to, in that particular moment, address it and say, okay, what is it that's bothering you now? It's the music. It's bothering us that you come with these, you know, like very rude uh, forms and kind of appearance. Um, it's as simple as asking politely to close the windows or not be so noisy. Um, and, and just a little gesture changed the whole thing and our relationship. And um, it takes very little. It's not, you know, like, it's not exactly like a conflict management because we didn't really go into conflict 100%. In that moment, there was a conflict and we didn't address it. And it could have escalated. In this case, it naturally happened that it was like this, but it can change so much. Good for you. Good for you. So yes, I'm gonna pick, I'm gonna pick. Um, and I think that's a story that many people can tell kind of similar stories where this happened and you have just a weird perception or you catch somebody in a bad moment and um, yeah, and then these types of things happened. I'm going to pick one of the most drastic things um, that I had to do in my career. I had to fire a PhD student. I had to let go of a PhD student and that's a situation that is very drastic. Administration even told me you're going to do what? A PhD student? Actually, I, we don't think that's possible. You can't fire a PhD student because, I mean, 
Um, so I just, actually, I didn't really fire him. I just let the contract not, I didn't prolong the contract after two years. Um, I'm not sure, maybe it was even only a one-year contract, but it was, um, yeah. So, and, and administration said that's not possible. And I was so strung up with this person because um, in, in very early times, I had a, a different student and she was not performing well, very well. So I went to my mentor at that time. Um, Peter Lichter and he said well and I was focusing on her only and I had several students and then he said and so I was all prung up about her and he said well you want to work with the good ones or the bad ones and the point is that you actually if you focus on the good ones um, you can let the, the people whom you think underperform you just um, that's my style now I just keep supporting them but less than the good ones so I'm not focusing on the bad ones anymore and so, but that was not possible with this PhD student, okay? Because he was underperforming, okay? So I said, fair enough, he doesn't deliver as much as the others, but I guess that's just the way it is. So let's focus on the good ones. But he, in addition, on top of that, he introduced bad energy into the, into the group. He was intriguing. He was bringing uh, people down. He was um, really somebody which I felt if I keep him on the team, um, like as is, this is going to be a big, this is going to degrade performance in the whole team. So I went into the conflict and it, I, so whenever I, I have to do something that is, I, I hate to do, or I think I'm not good at doing negotiation is another thing that I, in the beginning didn't want to do. Um, well, whenever this happens, I go for transparency. I put all the cards on the table and then they're kind of the cards on the table. Then it's no longer me who's so much in the arena, but it's more the facts. Like this is the way it is. Uh, and so, and what, what, what you give away then is power, right? Because all the cards are on the table. You gain transparency and you gain ownership of the other side. So then the other side is involved in the conflict solving in finding solutions, if the cards are on the table. If you keep the cards to yourselves, you have to do the decision yourself because the other side doesn't know what's, what's, what's on, right? And uh, because I'm bad at decision-making, I'm always putting the cards on the, I'm more often putting the cards on the table. So I did the same with him. So I delegated the decision to him. At least that's how it felt for me because I said, look, this is the situation right now from my perspective. You get the chance to change behavior until let's meet again in one or two months, in a month. Um, and then we have to reassess how the situation changed. But then I kind of delegate the, the decision to him. You know, it's your choice whether you want to change or not. If not, this and this and this consequence is going to happen. So we did this like two times, two or three times until the final thing I said, okay, it still hasn't changed, at least from my perspective. So if it doesn't change the next time we meet, I have to let you go. And um, he was he was from a country where they had um, in the in that country there was turmoil, there was disturbance in the government. So he said, well, if you're gonna terminate the contract, I don't even have a visa to stay in Germany anymore. I have to go back home to this difficult situation. So he was really putting pressure on me. Um, so I said, well, if it's so bad, thank God I had delegated the decision to him. At least that's how I felt. Um, 
if it's so bad at home, let's really try together to make a change in the next month. Because otherwise, I'm not going to prolong your contract. And um, ultimately, there was not enough change. So I said, okay, I'm sorry. I have to let you go. But then I still together with him said, because it's really bad to let people go and they are angry and there's lots of bad blood and they can destroy lots of things as well. And you feel bad as well. Um, so I said, so let's see how together we can find you a new position somewhere else. And I'm going to help you and support you in um, getting somewhere else to make it a smooth transition. There's this movie with um, uh, George Clooney and uh, I can't remember with whom. Um, it's called, I think, Up in the Air or something. Up in the Air, yes. Up in the Air, where the whole point is about he has to let people go and he tries to help them see the small advantages also of um, not having a job anymore. Yeah. Um, to make the transition smooth. Yeah. I guess, yeah. Um, embracing change is a whole different topic that we should, um, that and uncertainty is a whole topic that we should discuss in another episode. But what I take away from, from the story you just shared is that um, going early into conflict and going honestly into conflict and, 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 and kind of, giving the other the other side also a chance to participate to have a say in the solution creating um is huge and once again i think um i would have examples of this um of how i implement this kind of naturally even outside of my my work life as a scientist but i think we should probably have a full thing on this because it's so yeah such a big topic and we can go into the energy and we can go into the into the different types of solutions that can uh, situations solutions that can arise um and so on in more detail um but yeah just maybe to 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 wrap up today what i would um what i would like to to ask our audience is to look to take a moment to look back and, and say, okay, what is one thing? If uh, maybe make a list of two or three, and then and then uh, really pick the one thing that has changed them very much uh, because they've learned. Even if they're early in their careers, even if you're early in your career, there's surely things in your life experience that have brought you where you are, and that you believe are important. Um, and that would be one thing to answer to. to Sit down and say, okay, what is my soft skill, my thing that um, that I'm really proud of, that that I'm that I've really developed, and that I maybe want to train even more. And then the other one would be to pick one that you want to train. And if you're brave, you're going to pick one that you know you're bad at, one that's going to challenge you. Um, pick one that you actually want to actively train, uh, because this is what this podcast is all about. It's about tools. It's about sharing experiences. And it's about sharing tools like we share Eisenhower and Pareto and, and, and to some extent conflict and assertivity and, 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 and listening between the lines so that you can have, again, all the power to manage your, your next situations. So pick one, pick one that you have learned about, that you have developed and pick one that you would like to train. And, and if you want, you can leave a comment um, and we'll be happy to, to take that comment. Um, and we're still going to cover a lot of these in our next episodes because that's what we, that's what we plan with this podcast. 
It's good that we have so many more episodes coming. I'm looking forward to that. Absolutely. So what's the take-home message for the day? Um, let's, let's, make a, let's make a short statement. Yeah, I think um, the trainment take-home message is that um, you don't have to learn everything by trial and error. You can actually train actively, proactively, learning from other people. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Many, most of the problems that I have, many people have had before me, and they have, had, they have solutions that I can try and see whether they work for me. And that's much more efficient than try and error because that's, I mean, it is kind of try and error, but it's, it's a guided uh, try and error because you try solutions. You try other ways to do things because if you do it exactly the same way as you did last time, it's going to be exactly the same outcome as last time. Yeah. means no advancement. So trainment, go ahead, folks. Do trainment with soft skills because you can train them just as you do the hard skills. They're exactly the same. Which brings back my point that they should just be called skills. <laughs> exactly. Excellent. So that's how we wrap up today's episode. Um, see you next time. Talk to you next time. See you next time. Happy scientists.